Well, good morning. If you'd like to sign up for reading passages, go ahead and talk to Phil Dameron after the service today because they're going to be awesome from here on out. Um, <laughs> I'm really glad Nathan had to do that, not me. Uh, so, um, so I'm excited to be able to uh, speak here this morning. Uh, Daniel is off at a conference and has been. Um, him and Stephanie have been doing a lot of work this week, um, just just uh, networking and meeting people and sharing the mission of the Mountain Church. So it's been a great uh, but busy time for them. So we pray for rest for them um, next week. And, and uh, so that's why I get to be up here today. Um, we are going to be starting our sermon series through the book of Judges. So hopefully you guys caught on to that as we've been talking about it the last few weeks. And just kind of a couple business things as we go into this. What's going to be fun about this is that Every, I think it's fourth week, you're going to get either Nathan or I preaching. So it's going to go me, three weeks of Daniel, Nathan, three weeks of Daniel, me. So you guys a nice, get a nice little variation. You'll get to hear us all. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm going to try and dive in. And today, you guys will notice, if some of you guys know how I preach, I usually don't use notes, but today I have a lot of them. So I hope you guys are excited to be here for a while. Um, you saw how long that passage is. We are going to go through each line and each word and uh, really talk about the back background. But in reality, what we're going to do is we want to kind of set up the book of Judges. So chapter one is a great setup. It leads into what happens throughout the entire book of Judges. And so what we decided today was that we wanted to give you some context, context to the book of Judges, not only what is or like what was happening while the book of Judges was being written, because we're going to figure that out as we go through it, but to decide why did the church, or why did the mountain church decide to go through it. So Carrie, we have a slide, right, that I, I asked to show us. Do you guys remember this? If you were here during our core values, we talked about this, and we decide that we're going to put everything through this filter when we decide what we're going to do. So when we talk about the book of Judges, one of the things that we wanted to look for was when we talk about our Sunday gatherings and what are our Sunday gatherings for, it is for equipping the saints. So that is going to be a big piece of what we are going to talk about today. So I just want you guys to remember, everything that gets done is through this lens. So hopefully you've memorized that, you have it down. And remember we said we were going to take some tests frequently on it. We're going to do that in a couple weeks. So hopefully you guys are ready. So... Judges. The question is, why judges? Why judges? Why did we pick this? Why did we decide to go through this? We just got done with this awesome book of 1 Peter, and now all of a sudden we're kicking back to the Old Testament, and we're going to some long, long, crazy stories. So why judges? First of all, the main reason we want to go through judges is that judges is a book that clearly shows us the gospel in every story. The gospel's there. So we wanted to go through Judges so that we could start to look for the gospel in everything that we read. This book teaches us about the character of God, teaches us about discipleship, mercy, grace, and God's will being sovereign. And it teaches us the reminder that there are consequences for our actions, that humans will always fail, but how God can redeem and restore according to his will. I think that is very important as we go through the book of Judges, that it is okay for us to say that there are consequences for our actions. I tell my daughter that all the time, every time she is acting up. I love you, but just know when you scream at your mom, there are consequences. 
and you're not always going to like them. They're hard sometimes, but that's what is reality. So we just finished a book in 1 Peter that calls us to be set apart, right? That was the whole sermon series. The title of that sermon series was 1 Peter, Set Apart. We read how Peter put a charge to the people to be set apart, to live lives that looked different. A call to a life that is God-honoring, full of healthy, full of a healthy fear of God and a zealous love for him and his church. That's what we just got done going through. So this is a perfect transition into the book of Judges, and we'll see at the end of the book of Joshua, we're going to go over that in just a few minutes, that Israel is given that same charge. They are given a charge to be a set-apart people living in a land dedicated to serving God and proclaiming him as holy and the only Lord. In this book, over the coming months, we will read passages that are going to be hard to hear and maybe make us uncomfortable. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Judges, but you know there's some tough things in there, especially when you get to the end. It's gross. The thing is, is that we don't want to shy away from those things. They're in the Bible for a reason. And we want to start gleaning that reason. Why does God have this in there for us? Why are we to study these? Why are we to know about them? We, we understand that they're going to be gruesome. We understand that they are going to be uncomfortable. But to realize that God is sovereign and realize, like I said, that it is in there for a purpose. And we want to be able to find the gospel in those messages. We will read also of heroes who were raised up to save the people of Israel. And we will learn that they were only temporary and had their faults too. And I want to make sure that you guys understand we use those words very clear because in the scriptures it does say that they were meant to save the people of Israel. One of the big things, the big takeaways that we want to take from here is what our uh, sermon series is titled Need for a Savior is that this book should point us to one person and one idea. We are in need of a Savior and his name is King Jesus. Everything that we read through this uh, or everything we read in the book of Judges should point us to Jesus Christ as King, Lord, and Savior. And we will see an idea in Judges that rings ever true today. There's a verse in there that, that comes up that says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This is usually followed um, by judges being raised up to save them, followed by a time of living for God and seeing the fruits of that, which then fades out back into people doing what is right in their own eyes. So it's like a cyclical thing that continues to happen in the book of Judges. So we're going to see that over and over again. And part of that idea is that that's not much different than what we see today. That phrase, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Man, judges, when we read through this, is so applicable to what we see today. Your truth is your truth. There is no absolute truth. Make it what you want it. People hate math because it has a right and wrong answer, right? We hate those things. We hate what has a right and wrong answer. We don't like it. And so we start resorting to what we see in Judges, that we do what is right in our own eyes. So as we read through the book of Judges, I ask that we look through 
a lens that God would have us look through. So not through our personal ideology, not what we are uncomfortable or comfortable with, but how God would want us to see this book, why he put it in there, what is the purpose that he has for it. These stories are not recorded for us to find heroes amongst men and women or to see us better than the people in the stories. So to clarify that, we should not be reading through the book of Judges to look at those people and say, wow, that person was awesome in what they did. Man, I love Ehud, the left-handed Benjaminite, right? Takes a sword off and stabs a guy. It's awesome. Samson kills a bunch of people that God would have him kill. So cool how he followed through. That's not how we're supposed to look at these stories. But at the same time, we're not supposed to look at him and go like, man, I would never disobey God like that. I would never have taunted somebody like that. I would never have like given away my secret to how I got my strength. I would never have tested God. Like once he made one side of that, that sheep's cloth uh, wet, I would have believed. Now, many of you guys who've read through the book of Judges know what I'm talking about, that there's stories about people challenging God, people not believing in God and his divine wisdom and his sovereign plan. And we tend to read those and think that we're better than them. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm definitely not. I'm not. And so as we go through the book of Judges, we want to be processing it through that lens. We're not looking for heroes, and at the same time, we're not looking to put ourselves as better than them. We're on par. We're there. We could put ourselves in that story and be those people. Maybe different context, but the same outcome. We do not look to sympathize with the struggles that those had before us and try to justify how they fell short of God's calling in their lives. So when we read through the book of Judges, we don't want to go, oh, I totally understand how they went through that. That's not our job. Our job is to not feel bad for them and look at them and go like, oh, I don't know. Like that's, yeah, that was really hard. That was tough. Our job is to look at their shortcomings and see how God is better. To see how Jesus is so much better than the people that we see in those stories and can fill those roles so much better. How we can find our strength through Jesus. Not on our own accord like we see some of the heroes in here. So this is what we'll be focusing on through our study of Judges. So one thing that I want to go through. You guys have an outline, right? Hopefully you have an outline. You have the outline. What do you notice is on that outline? There's questions. If you've ever been here when I've preached before, this is the first time there's ever been anything on your guys' outline, so I'm excited. There are questions. Now, I'm going to put a caveat with that. There's questions on there because those questions are going to be there every week. Every week. Now, I'd love to say that Daniel, Nathan, and I are so awesome, and we came up with these questions like, this is going to be our study technique, but we didn't. The Gospel Coalition put something out, and we, we read it, and we loved it, and we fell in love with it. So what we decided is as we go through Judges as a church, we want to start looking for ways to become better students of God's Word. So when we talked about that, um, the, the square up here, right, we talked about why we do what we do and how come, and we talked about that this has to do with the, the Sunday mornings, this is part of that piece, Our job is to equip you guys to be able to do the work of the saints, correct? So if that's the case, one thing that we want to equip you guys with is how to study your Bible. 
Now, I'm sure a lot of you guys have studied scriptures before. You guys know how to do that. A lot of you guys probably have a lot of cool tools that you use. But one of the things we want to do is start to unite us as a church to be looking through things a lot in the same way. Excuse me. So what does that mean? Well, what that means is when we read through Old Testament books, what we want to start doing, and as we go through the book of Judges, hopefully as you guys are prepping ahead of time, like I know you guys don't have the, the scripture journals anymore, but hopefully you know a notebook costs like a dollar at the store, right? You guys can be prepping ahead of time, reading things, and hopefully the goal is by the time we get done with Judges, you guys are coming with these three questions answered and ready to hear what Daniel, Nathan, or I have to say, and like seeing how your studying is starting to build up so that we are not spoon-feeding you anymore, that you guys are feeding yourselves, that you guys are understanding how to dive into God's word and prepare yourselves to be ready to go out to do the work of the saints. So what does that mean? First question, what does this story proclaim about God and his relationship with people? So this is the aspect or attribute of God's character that is highlighted. So do we all understand that question? Yes, if no, please shake no. Yeah? Okay, really what it's looking for is the first thing we're going to do when we read through these passages is say, what is this teaching us about who God is and how does he relate to his people? So in this part, it's the Israelites, but we know that that is his chosen people. We are under that new covenant. So what is he trying to teach, or what, what do we see about his relationship with us? Number two, how does this story connect to the Bible's larger story or meta narrative? So, what does this mean? Well, this means that the Bible is not just a bunch of individual books that have nothing to do with each other, they're all tied together, right? Everything in the Bible is meant to serve one purpose, and that is to point us to Jesus. So we want to look through all these passages as we go through them and study how does this passage in particular point us to King Jesus. So we're going to answer, try to answer that question. I'm going to tell you guys right now, sometimes some of these questions are going to be harder to answer than others. Okay? And I'm going to tell you right now, I struggled with this one on this passage. So um, number three, Kelly got in my head on how to say this word because she kept telling me it was wrong and then I realized it was right. What admonition, did I say that right? Admonition? Okay, sweet. What admonition or exhortation does this story offer? Okay, now if you're like me who teaches math, I go, what in the world do those words mean, right? I don't know if you guys are there with me, but I'm like, okay, I've heard exhort before, and I'm pretty sure I know what it means, but we're going to cover both of these. So admonition, an authoritative counsel or a warning, so if you want to write that down, go ahead and do that. Admonition, an authoritative counsel or a warning. So when we read through this passage, what is God uh, teaching us through his authoritative counsel or is he giving us a warning? The second one could be, or it might also be, an exhortation. And an exhortation is to address or communicate emphatically, urging someone to do something. So a call to actually go out and do something. So one way that you can put this is what do you do and who should you be as a response to the gospel? Okay, so does that make sense on those two words? Admonition, exhortation. Okay, could we have one or the other in each of these passages? Absolutely. Could we have both in the passage? Absolutely. So our goal is that we're going to try and pull these out. Okay. 
I got to take a breath here for a second. Has everybody got where we're going so far? Yeah? Okay. Because this is the whole setup to this entire nine months. So if I'm, if I'm not setting this up right now, I need you guys to like let me know because I want to make sure it's clear because you guys are going to be hearing this for about nine, nine, almost ten months, I think, till next summer. Okay. <laughs> So we're good? Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I like, just so you guys know, I'm a, I'm a visual affirmation kind of person. So this right here tells me a lot. So if you guys do this a lot, I'm, that helps me out a ton. If you do this, that also helps me out a ton, okay? Because that's still visual affirmation that you guys aren't getting it, okay? So now that we have the why we are going through this book and the how, we are going to dive in. So I'm going to try and do an abbreviated version of what we just talked about today, okay? Because I know that after Nathan's reading, man, he took a lot of my uh, sermon time. So we have all that aside. Um, <laughs> I just set this up. We went through what we're going to talk about. So now I got to kind of try and shrink this down a little bit. So what I want to talk about first is um, something I stated before that I think the book of Judges um, needs to have a little bit of a setup. So what I want you to do, I think in most of you guys' Bibles, is turn one page back. Turn one page back to Joshua 24. Is it one page back in your guys' book, Bible? Two? Either you have a really small Bible or a really large print then. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so Joshua 24. So hopefully we understand. Some of you guys may not if we've never read through the Bible, so I'll just try and give you a brief history. God's people always do what's wrong. Okay, now we're, now we're uh, back there. God, God saves them, and then, you know. Um, so that's pretty much this part of the Bible, okay? So what happens is Moses dies. You remember Moses was part of the great uh, exodus, right? He led them out. He didn't get to see the promised land because they disobeyed. So then who gets to be the one who takes them into the promised land? Joshua. So Joshua then goes in, and Joshua's task is to drive people from the land of Canaan out. Okay, And we're going to talk about that here in a few minutes as well. But it is very important how Joshua ends. Joshua 24, verses 14 through 28. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to read... Uh, I want to focus on, I'm going to, because I'm going to kind of try and cut this short. Uh, verses 14 through 17, essentially, Joshua is uh, setting up a, uh, a covenant with the people and with God. Actually, you know what, I just want to read it because I think it's good for us to hear. Now, there, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua's setting up, right? You guys have to make your choice. You guys have to choose. You either got to choose to serve the Lord, but if you think that that's evil, you better choose somebody else and you're going to like, that's how it's going to be. But Joshua sets up an authoritative statement. For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So he's laying it out there for him, right? So uh, let's see here. Verse 16. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did great signs in our sight and preserved us 
uh, in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. Important in verse 18, something that we see come up in Judges a bunch is that it says the Lord drove out the people, not the people of Israel, not the tribes of Israel. The Lord drove out the people. So that's important as we go, we start diving into the book of Judges to remember that. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God and he will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord to serve foreign gods, then he will turn to do you harm and consume you after having done you good. Important. That is the covenant. Joshua is laying it out there for him. Here's what's going to happen if you do not serve God and you do not obey his commands. Right? Because that's, I want to remember, remind you guys, we're setting up judges right now, right? We're setting it up. We're going to see a cycle of that happening throughout the book of Judges. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away foreign gods that are among you that, and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put it in place, statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the tabernacle, terebinth, sorry, that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, behold, this stone shall be witness against us, for it, it ha, or excuse me, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he has spoken to us. Therefore, it should be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. Okay, so why is that important? We have our covenant, right? What was the covenant that Joshua, uh, through uh, the Lord through Joshua made? That if they do not serve the Lord, there's going to be consequences, right? Clear as day. It literally tells us there's going to be consequences. We'll do harm after doing you good, okay? So it's important that we remember that as we read through some of the consequences that the Israelites go through as they disobey through the book of Judges. It's all set up through this final statement that Joshua makes and sends the people out, and then Joshua dies, right? That was his kind of like final thing, like he dies. So now we move into the book of Judges. So this is where we pick up the story. Uh, we enter into the book, so for, we go into Judges 1. We enter the, into the book with God's continued call to drive out the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. So God wants them to completely push out who is in the land of Canaan, right? Drive them out. This is the part of Judges 1 that we're going to focus on today. Is there more in this whole chapter? Absolutely, but we're going to focus on this. I guess I can't hit on everything in Judges 1 today. I just can't do it, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to pick a few things, and then we're going to answer those three questions, okay? So one thing I want to approach today, because I, what I found is it was the biggest thing when you search the internet, when you talk to people, when you look through what's being said, what is the one, like, problem people have 
with like what is happening in Joshua and moving into the book of Judges and especially in Judges 1 and 2. What's the big issue? One of the big questions that people ask is how can God call his people to do something like this? Go to war, fight, push people out of their land, take away their homes, all that kind of stuff. It's a huge question to ask. How does a God, a sovereign God, a God full of grace, God full of love, want to push people out of their land? And in sometimes that, that involved battles which killed people. Okay, so what I want to do is I'm going to go to Tim Keller because I think Tim Keller describes it best. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about three points that Tim Keller has on how we can explain what is happening here. The first is that the war was not carried out on the base of race. I want us to understand that the war was not carried out on the base of race. In Joshua 2, we see that Rahab was a, a Gentile prostitute whose family was saved because she trusted the Lord. Okay, you guys get that? So in Joshua 2, we see that somebody who was not of the same race was saved because they had faith in the Lord. This was not a race-based thing. We don't like the Canaanites because of who they are. We're going to push them out. It was not based upon that. The mission was against the altars of the idols. We want to destroy them. Get them out of here. We want to have nothing to do with that. This will be a holy place that serves one God, one God only, and that is the Lord. The second piece that we can rest on when we read through this, the war was not carried out on the basis of imperialistic expansion. What does that mean? They were not trying to do what the Romans did. They were not trying to grow this huge empire, own everything, become rich, become prosperous. What did we see a lot of times when they went in to conquer the, uh, those towns? Were they able to keep things? No. Most of the time they were asked to do what? Destroy them. They weren't keeping things. It was not based upon trying to gain riches, get powerful, any of that kind of stuff. So what we look at is it was not based upon race. It was not based upon imperialistic expansion. It was not ever intended to have people working as forced labor. We see that as we read through the, what uh, Nathan read through, right? That the people were kept as forced labor. God never had the intent of that. Drive them out. Do not keep them and keep a thumb on them and make sure they're doing what you want them to do. That was not his intent. So we got to remember, as we read through this, the Israelites executed a plan with fault. They did not do what God called them to do. We have to remember as we process through this that that is not the case, right? Lastly, the war was carried out as God's judgment through direct revelation. What does this mean? God spoke directly to Joshua, told Joshua with his, you know, he spoke with him. This is what you need to do. Direct revelation from God. He also spoke through Joshua to the people and then also through the ephod that the priests had. So they knew this was the word of God. It was not somebody's personal, like, well, I think God might be telling me to do this. I've prayed about it, and you know, I think that this is right. It was not. It was the audible voice of God telling him. What about you guys? It doesn't happen that often for me. I don't hear God, the heaven, the clouds open up. I don't see that pillar of fire and God speak to me. The Holy Spirit who speaks to me in different ways. But remember that this was the audible voice of God talking to Joshua, then talking to through Joshua. It's different. 
God gives specific verbal revelations to the Israelites to evict the Canaanites. Nothing less direct and unmistakable could be the basis for such an action. So what Tim Keller says is that this is called the intrusion ethic. Okay, the intrusion ethic. So I'm gonna explain the intrusion ethic. I think this is a good idea for us to understand as we read through this. What he says is essentially God knows the end from the beginning. He alone has the right and the knowledge to see persons who they will condemn on judgment day and to bring a judgment down on them early. Thus, God, the judge of all, can determine to bring down justice on them now rather than waiting for the last day. So, what is it saying? God's a judge. If he wants to bring down his wrath upon them right now, he has every right to do that. Doesn't have to wait till the last day. He can do that now. He sees everything. He knows everything. He knows how it plays out. And if he wants to be able to change that right now and, and move them out, then that is his will. He can do that. The intrusion ethic. Now, the last thing I'm going to say about that piece is if we still stumble with that, it was awesome. I was reading through Isaiah uh, the last couple days, and Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 popped up. And many of you guys know this verse, maybe not by reference, but I love it. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You can't process it. It's because his ways are higher than ours. We don't understand. And see, like one of the hardest things that we deal with as humans is we don't like that. We want to know. We want to understand. We want to be able to process and justify. And the thing is, is that God clearly tells us through Isaiah, our ways are not his ways. Our ways get us in trouble. We see that with the Israelites. They play it out multiple times through the book of Judges. And so I think it's important for us to remember this. If we have this kind of like, pit of our stomach, deep like pull to like, man, something is wrong here in Judges. I don't like all the war. I don't like people being driven out of their home. I don't agree with that. Remember, God's ways are not our ways. They are higher. He has a reason for what he is doing and we need to trust in those. All right. So, you guys bored? We good? We good? No? Awesome. <laughs> I see one nod. That's all right. All right, let's answer question one. So what do we see in this passage about God's relationship with his people? What do we see about God's relationship with his people? Hopefully you guys, as you heard Nathan read this, you guys were able to already start thinking about answers and writing them down. But I want to point out two that I think are important in this passage. First one being God is a jealous God. I want us to write that one down. God is a jealous God. The second piece that I think is important that we learn about God here is God is unwavering in his word. What he tells us is true and we can rely on that. God is unwavering in his word. So as we dive deeper into that, we see that God directed his people to drive out the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. So, 
He's a jealous God. Why did he want them to drive out the inhabitants of Canaan? Well, we talked about this. He wanted a land that was for his people, that was set apart, that was made to be people that could look in from the outside, whatever it was, to see a place where God was Lord and ruled supreme in that area. Now, one thing, I was talking with Ben about this yesterday. One thing for me, and I don't know how you guys have processed through some of this, but I read this week that I think my thinking had been backwards a lot of this time. I think I had a backwards train of thought when I, when I read through this passage that God was not really worried about the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. That was not his worry. His worry was not like, oh man, like they're a strong army, they may overpower, any of those kind of things, okay? I actually, like what I read and what I started to see was that God was worried about his own people, God is a jealous God. If he wasn't, that would be sinful because God is worth all of our praise. Uh, He is worth everything. To worship anything else would be a sin. To require us to worship anything else would be a sin. So he cannot do that, right? So he is a jealous God. He was worried about the Israelites and what they had always done. They had always messed up. They followed God. God would save them. God would, would pull them out of a situation and like do this great thing for them. And then what would happen? Yeah, they, they'd, they'd turn away and they would do something else. They would do something crazy. God knew that if these people of the land of Canaan that had these altars to idols stayed there, what were the Israelites going to do? They were going to start worshiping them. He knew that. He knew his people were weak, that they were frail. Joshua said it. You guys cannot serve God. Like you can't. It's not something you can do on your own. You need God to help you with this. And he knew that if there was other things there, that they would not be solely focused on who he was. So instead of being worried about these Canaanite people, he was worried about his own people and he was worried that they would not follow through. And I don't know if worried is the correct word more so as he knew that that's what they were going to do. He knew. Okay. So God wanted to help his people worship him and worship him alone. So we see in chapter two, if we were to go into chapter two, that these pe- the people that they did not drive out become thorns in their sides, right? That's what the, the language that's used. And Daniel told me that I was okay to jump into chapter two just a little bit, just so you guys know. So I'm not, I'm not stepping on his toes. He'll hit this again. But that we know that since the people that they did not drive out become thorns in their sides. So we know that this, this reality, God is a jealous God. We know that this plays out and that there is a reason behind that. So... Um, Uh, then this is where we see God's unwavering word from all the way back in Joshua 24, verses 19 through 20. When we talked about that peace, that you are not able to serve the Lord for he is holy, or he is a holy God, he is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve other gods. So we see right there, God is unwavering in his word. Judges sets that up. If you guys do not do what I ask you to do or do what I tell you to do, there's gonna be consequences, Right? Now, I don't know if any of you guys are parents or had parents or anything like that that told you that. It's like, hey, you jump on that couch one more time. One more time what? Right? You don't finish the statement because a lot of times in our head, we know we're not going to do anything. Right? I don't know if you've done that as a parent. Okay, you, you steal that toy from that kid one more time. You know. Like, no, I don't because you don't follow through. Right? That happens. 
But what do we see with God? He follows through. He's true to his word. What we would deem as good and bad, but what God would deem as just. We get what we deserve. Sometimes we get way better than we deserve. God is unwavering in his word. So, for me, those are the two big characteristics that stood out there. Are there more? Yes. Okay? Could we put out more? Yes. When you do your studies and you come up with more and then you come here on Sunday and we add to those, is that good? Absolutely. You should be looking for ways that you see God's character in everything. Okay? Number two. You guys ready to go on to the second question? How does this story tie into the larger story? I struggled with this one. I did. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I struggled with this. I had all my sermon done last night except for this, and I put it off till about 11 because you know what I mean? When you don't know what to do, what do you do? You just don't do it, right? (laughs) I'm living like the Israelites right now. I just, I put things off. I don't do it fully, right? So how does this fit in the larger story? Well, the first, the whole first chapter sets up the story for the rest of the Bible. The choices that they make continue to cause problems for the Israelites for generations. So we see this played out throughout the rest of scriptures, right? We see this played out through um, uh, kings, through uh, Samuel. We see it played out in, uh, gosh, all the prophets, right? There is problems caused because the Israelites did not do what they were supposed to do in the book of Joshua and pushing us forward into Judges 1, talking about driving out the, the, the inhabitants of Canaan. So God's people need someone to lead them, to save them, and that is not going to be, uh, or that is not going to be temporary. So what do we see here? How does this fit in the larger story? They need somebody to keep guiding them. Because what did God keep providing? He provided Moses, correct? And Moses did what? He led them. But then what did Moses do at the end? He obviously failed because he didn't even get to see the promised land. Not a hero. Who gets raised up next? Joshua. Man, like Joshua does some great things. He pushes the people how he's supposed to push them. Still doesn't do everything right. Gets to this point, leaves these people with like a heroic charge, right? That we would see at the end of Braveheart. Hey, you guys need to serve the Lord and you guys need to do this. Everybody leaves here. Yeah, we're on fire for the Lord, right? And then he dies. And the people are left again. Uh Uh-oh. What happened, right? What do we see here? This book is showing us, it is setting up that we need someone to lead us. We need a king. We need a savior. But that savior cannot be temporary. That savior cannot be human of this world. Because they're going to die, they will perish, that will move away, and we are going to be left wondering what next. I believe this is how this story ties into the rest of the meta-narrative of pointing us towards Jesus because we see that King Jesus is the answer to those questions. So then lastly, what admonition or exhortation does this story offer? Well, where I want to go with this is I think that the biggest one 
that this points out is God calls for all of life discipleship. God calls for all of life discipleship. How do we see this played out? I'm going to give you a couple things that happened in Judges 1 that we just read. First one, right off the bat. What do they do? Who's supposed to go first? What does God say? Judah. And they're like, yeah, all right, we have a charge. And the very first thing Judah does is what? Simeon, come with me, dude. And he like grabs them and they go and they're like, yeah, disobeyed God right away, right away. Half-hearted discipleship. We hear the word of God and we do it part way. Well, I went up first. You did, but you brought your brother along, which I did not tell you to do. Instantly. Drive out the people from the land of Canaan. How many times did Nathan read that today? Drive them out and they didn't drive them out completely. Well, we got most of them. Well, it's really nice and it's convenient because now they can do the work that we don't want to do. So let's keep them. They'll work for us. I promise it's not going to be that big of a deal, right? Half-hearted discipleship. People heard the word of God. They knew what God was calling them to do, and yet they did not do it fully. So what does God call for us to be? Wholehearted disciples. Follow what God has laid out for us. He has given us a plan that is for our benefit, for his glory. And we have nothing better to do than to serve him with everything. So then the question becomes like, so wholehearted discipleship, people being driven out of land, what is that? How does that tie together? And we talk about the sin in our own life, right? The people of Canaan just represent the sin in our own life. We are called to drive that out, push that out. But a lot of times we do that like you can have this half, but this half, this is for me, right? Like I'm gonna, I'll work on this later, right? It's like, it's not that big of a deal. So you just work on the big stuff, God, and like just like I'll take care of this stuff or whatever it is. God calls for everything. So one thing that I was thinking about is how does this play out? What does this look like? The people in the land of Canaan, right? They were there. So they get squashed. They get pushed down. They're there just working, right? God, well, it kind of makes sense because God just wanted them to get rid of the idols. So maybe they could have just burned all the idols and that's no big deal, right? Then they just, the people could work there or live there amongst them. No big deal. One thing that I thought about was, um, and I don't know why this came to my mind. So I hope you guys can bear with me on this one. Um, swearing. Swearing is a bad habit. Okay, if you do it, I'm just telling you right now, it's a bad habit, okay? I'm not telling you it's a sin, I'm just telling you it's a bad habit. Now, how does it normally start? Well, here's how you generally see it start. You hang out, you, start, you get a job. Like, I'm not a cursing man myself, I just don't do it, okay? But somebody, right, you start a job, you start hanging out with some people, and what are they doing? They're dropping words all around you and all that kind of stuff. And at first, what do you do? Like, yeah, it's a little uncomfortable, I don't really like it. But as they keep swearing around you, as they keep doing it, what do you notice all of a sudden happens out of your mouth the first time something, somebody does something wrong, your kid does something wrong. You're like, and you're like, oh, shoot, where'd that come from? Well, I don't know, people you're hanging out with? Then 
Little by little, right? You're listening to music. That music's got what going on in it? Person. You're watching TV shows where they're dropping them left and right, right? On cable, you can say stuff now. Then little by little, what starts to happen? It becomes part of your lexicon. You start speaking it. You start using it more and more. Sin operates in the same way. It sneaks up on you, right? You don't know it. You're around it, and you're like, man, this ain't going to influence me. I don't do that. And then people keep talking about it more and more, and then what happens? It builds up. All of a sudden, you're talking about it a little bit. Then next thing you know, you're doing it, and you're going the same reaction. Oh, shoot, where'd that come from? You're surrounding yourself with it. You're allowing it to be in your life, and it is going to influence you. That is what we saw with the land of Canaan. God wanted them to completely drive out so that it was not there. It was not going to be an influence. It was not going to seep in through the cracks because we are human and we are flawed. It's going to happen if you allow it to be there. This is how we can start to process through this. Now, the one thing that I really want us to focus in on today is focusing in on that gospel piece. Now that we know we can't have it in our lives, what do we do in response to that? We focus on Jesus. We focus on Jesus. One of the biggest things that helped me out in my life was a pastor who meant so much to me. Pastor Ryan Faust out at Grace. He explained something to me that just, boom, made sense all of a sudden. Stop focusing on the little sins in your life and trying to fix them. Stop. Because guess what? You're not going to be able to do it. You can't. You can't pick little sins and say, I'm going to work on those and try to eradicate those and then hope that they'll start to disappear after a while. The only thing that you can do is turn, face a different direction, and look directly at God and say, Lord, you are more beautiful and more pleasurable than anything else. Become the only thing that I want to see. Become the only thing that I want to serve, the only Lord of my life. Be that Lord. And everything in this world will start to fade away when you see God for who he truly is. How he sent his son to die for the sins of this world, for your sins, for my sins, that we have even yet to commit. This is what we have to take away when we look at this. God provides a savior for us. He provided his son to die on the cross to love us how we were broken, sinful, selfish, dirty human beings, right? And pulled us out and called us, as we learned in 1 Peter, to be set apart. And we are to live lives that reflect that. Not on our own will, but fully turning towards God, focusing on who he is and saying, Jesus, you are better than everything. You are worthy of all praise. Those little things I want to hold on in here mean nothing compared to you, so take them. If you have to get rid of things in your life, get rid of them. I don't know what it is. You do, I don't. 
If you're in community with somebody, they might know for you, they might know better. But if you are one of those people who say, well, it's really not that big of it, it's wrong. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. 99% of the time, it's wrong. Okay? So much joy is found in serving Jesus. So much joy is found in bringing him honor and seeing his glory. That that is my charge for us today. Focus on that. Do not focus on the things that you are letting go. Do not focus on the things that feel uncomfortable. Focus on Jesus. I just, again, cannot emphasize that enough. Focus on Jesus because Jesus is better. So hopefully that gave you guys kind of a glimpse into what we will be doing over the next few months, we are going to be diving more into the actual text. But I want us to hopefully pull away from this, that there is so much rich, richness in the Old Testament. There is so much richness in this book of Judges that I'm really excited for what we are going to hear over the next few months. So let's go ahead and pray.